If you were looking for a congregation in Houston, well, more specifically, Spring, Texas, um, who might describe themselves as their weird, messy group of people who are learning to be disciples of Jesus, I would definitely turn you on to the Forum Christian Church. Um, so today we have with us Dustin Payne, who is the founding church starter and pastor. Welcome, Dustin. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I guess a couple questions. And the first is, uh, why Houston? Yeah, uh, Houston, you know, I grew up essentially in this area. It's, you know, one of the largest cities in the United States. Uh, it's one of the most diverse cities, too. And, you know, even though I've, I've lived here most of my life, you don't realize how diverse it is until you go somewhere else. Um, you just kind of grow up with that. And so anyways, my network was here. I went off to seminary at Baylor University, Truett Seminary. Uh, and after I graduated, I, I kind of came back and that's where, you know, friends and family were. And so, uh, at that time, I believe that the reason we kind of returned was, uh, God had for us this vision that we'd see our friends and our families restored in the gospel. And so, uh, there we were. Well, it's interesting, you know, unless you're in Texas, um, you know, not a lot of people know much about Houston. Of course, um, you know, the fledgling fan bases of two sports teams that everyone loves to have, I guess technically three, but um, in some regards, it is uh, a very unique place. Um, As you said, it's one of the more diverse, if not one of the most diverse cities in America, not just in Texas. So how, do, how did, as you are approaching ministry in Houston, how does that diversity play into how you approach it? Uh, you know, what's uh, really interesting is that um, I didn't, I, I know this is sound weird. I kind of grew up going to what I'd call white church uh, and, you know, I, pretty much everyone the same cloth in terms of uh, eco, uh, economic status and uh, culture and these sorts of things. And, uh, everyone does the same sort of stuff together. And so it's weird that even though I grew up in this place of diversity, you would actually rarely, you know, you see it when you go outside, but you wouldn't really see it in the churches that I grew up in. And one of the things in which I've kind of like subconsciously engaged diversity, and I don't, I don't mean this uh, particularly like, like I targeted it was uh, uh, our worship pastor, uh, Tracy is, uh, she's Hispanic. And I didn't think much of this. I mean, I just thought, you know, it's Tracy. She sings great. She loves God. This is the person that we want on our team, the person that's going to help move our people into better relationship with God. And um, through that, uh, it, it is actually, you know, through her, uh, we've actually hit this Hispanic network uh, that has deeply affected the makeup of our church. Uh, something like a quarter of our people are Hispanic. Um, and this wasn't, you know, by design or intention, but, but I think that the diversity, when we talk about diversity in terms of culture, we see those things uh, around us, but, but really when you're talking to my generation, you know, the millennial generation, uh, we don't, we don't really look at culture. We're we're just kind of looking at people who are our age. Uh, we, we see the folks who are like the Gen Xers and the baby boomers and, you know, the older folks and the younger folks who are behind us. And when we talk about getting together or starting church or doing something like that, uh, we're not talking about necessarily creating this multicultural uh, place of worship because I feel like our, we already are multicultural, especially, you know, here. And so that's kind of like how we've engaged it is really through friendship, just 
knowing people, like just connecting with people. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a quarter of your church speaks Spanish and you're like, well, that's cool. Um, I guess maybe, uh, I know some, I know Spanish. I'm like a four out of 10 on Spanish. Maybe I can like incorporate some stuff here or there. Maybe we can do a song in Spanish. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of it. We've, uh, we have someone from a church who's from, and I always pronounce it wrong, uh, his Bakistan or a back. I'm really bad. She'd make fun of me for saying it like that, but, um, you know, she, so here she is like Houston has this like untapped Asian, uh, culture too in it, which, uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking like growing up again, like where, where are these people coming from? And I'm like, but they're all my age. Like, how did this happen? You know? And so, uh, the thing is, is that Houston ultimately is this kind of immigrant city. And when you're talking about millennials in Houston, you're talking about the children of immigrants. And so, uh, so that's kind of maybe how we've done it. Hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, just to warn you, you know, you shouldn't call people of Gen X old, which you addressed me as old. So, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I do apologize. Um, I, is elderly a better word? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, I think you bring up an interesting point. Um, churches talk about wanting to be multicultural. They talk about wanting to be diverse, but it's it's not really something that you can fabricate. Like, there's not a program you can put in into place that's going to make you a more diverse congregation. In fact, I think that type of thing is going to get called a mile away from a person uh, who would bring diversity to your congregation. So what you bring up is a very fascinating point. I think it gets back to knowing your congregation, one of the core principles, which is to build a healthy community together with people. And we build a healthy community together with others. We build this mutual trust and we enter into this dynamic ecclesial relationship together. And all of a sudden we are the church. We are worshiping mm-hmm. together and we are a people of diversity. Um, how, how did that play out for, for the forum? Yeah, so... I guess the, like I said before, you know, it wasn't particularly planned. Uh, the church more or less started with white guys <laughs> and, uh, you know, me being one of them. And it, it's, uh, I, I guess it's because my, my generation, and I can't, I'm trying to, and I say my generation, I can't speak for generation X or baby boomers or generation Z that's coming after us. But I know like my, my age group, my people, uh, the gospel is kind of founded on friendship. And one of the things that I think uh, we realize as a church is that we are friends trying to be a church and not a church trying to be friends. Uh, And I think that does change the makeup of everything about us because, uh, you know, I've been on this binge lately. I'm, I'm looking at the gospels and seeing how Jesus saves households. It's not just like one individual. It's like, you know, salvation's come into your house, Zacchaeus. Everyone that you've, you're touching in your household is going to be saved. And so I'm looking at our people and I'm just seeing that that kind of come into fruition that you have literally this, this one person from this household who comes into friendship with us. And, and, you know, for the first time, like this community for them, connects them to God in a way that they've never experienced before. And they want to take that back to their families. And so, uh, you know, oftentimes I'm looking at our folks and I, uh, you came on any given Sunday, everyone is from the age of 18 to 35, more or less. And that's pretty much everybody. There's a few outliers for sure. Um, but if you saw us like that, uh, you would see that like overall, we don't have our, 
you know, singles community group. We don't have uh, this, you know, men's breakfast. We, we don't have any of that. What we have are, hey, guys, we're going to the Renaissance Fair in November. Who's coming? Or, guys, it's my birthday. I expect everybody to be there. And everyone just shows up, and then they bring their friends and their friends. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the... Uh, the the pool in terms of our makeup and it's not the gospel doesn't care about what you look like it doesn't care what you look like the gospel is going to interact and touch and move people regardless of where you're at and the question is is where are you at are you going to like hide in your community with people who are just like you or are you going to reach out in friendship for people who are very different from you, who are who who share at least in one one sense with us, share in age group, share in hobbies and interests, where we can lock arms and find a way to like know God and know each other better. There's a, certainly nothing wrong with the name First Baptist of, or Second or Third Baptist of, um, but we've entered into a day and age where. Um, a name bears great significance to a church, especially a new church start. So why the forum Christian church? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, actually, so we talk about like the diversity of, of Houston, but also when we talk about diversity in terms of cultures, we're talking also like a diversity of religions. Uh, And so for my people who are mostly unchurched or uh, what what we call the D church folks who are, uh, you know, who'd, who'd grown up in a church and then maybe pushed themselves away or got pushed out or hurt or something like that. Um, they still consider themselves spiritual. And even the unchurched sees that there's a sense of spirituality or transcendence or something that's out there. Uh, and I, I wanted it to be very, very clear that we were a Christian church, uh, and especially, you know, we're, we're down the street from a Mormon temple. Uh, very, it's a huge, huge establishment. And, we're, we, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, religious diversity in our area. And so I wanted that to be clear. And, you know, I found out, I was asked literally last week and I said, you know, uh, why are we Baptists? Like, what's the difference? And, and, and if you're asking me this question, that means you've been here long enough to know that we're Baptists because it's not on our sign. Um, and, and, you know, I got to share and explain some of the reasons and like how we're part of the CBF and, and how we do things with uh, the Texas Baptists and things like that. But uh, the reason we chose Christian church is I wanted them to identify themselves first as Christians. And because that's kind of like where a lot of the holdup is, uh, you know what, once we identify as Christian, uh, and they make up their mind theologically where they stand on baptism, separation of church and state, and, uh, you know, the autonomy of the local church, then I'll let them decide whether they want to be called Baptist or not. But, you know, we are a Baptist church. That's what they recognize that we, that's what we do. Uh, so, but first I want them to recognize that they are part of the Christian church, part of that church that's hurt them, part of that church that they've had these tough relationships with, part of that church that has had people say horrible things to them. I want them to realize first that they are part of that Christian church, that there is good. There's so much good in this church. It's not just what you've experienced. It's not just these bad things. So that, that's kind of why we did that. You've been at this for, um, you know, a little over a year now uh, in, in the more kind of formal way of gathering. Mm-hmm. What's been your greatest celebration? Well, we've had a couple of those. Um, the greatest celebration 
I mean, I've been, I, you know, I tell this, I probably tell this story anytime someone asks me, but, uh, you know, we have a, a good group of folks who are atheists that have come to our church. And, uh, and I believe everybody who has come, who's an atheist has recanted atheism though maybe not exactly acknowledged Christ yet in that way that we, we do, but that they definitely have said that no, there's definitely more than, than no. And there's a particular gentleman um, who, who, you know, he'd love it if I named him Brantley, um, who I'll share this story. And it's my favorite story when I think about what God does. Uh, we have communion in the back, uh, in the back of, during this like reflection time after the sermon, but before the service is over, where uh, there's just a little bit of like, uh, music playing, no vocals. And, and, and we invite God to come in and, and minister to us in that moment in time and people to reflect. And during that time, we have the Eucharist communion in the back. And now we meet in a restaurant, okay? We meet in a restaurant and people come in and out of the doors, even though this restaurant's closed on Sunday and they, you know, they, even though the sign says closed, all these things. And, you know, and so they, uh, during this one of these reflection moments, you know, it, I had to get up because I saw the guy was just coming down from like where I preach and someone was coming into the door. So I just kept walking past and uh, I informed the person, oh, hey, you know, we're a church that meets here, the restaurant's closed. And, you know, they went on their way. And, um, I was coming back like I, you know, like I normally when I, I decided to go to communion, the communion area. Because I love taking communion. And, um, and I get over there and Brantley's there. Now I know a lot about Brantley and he thinks analytically about everything, everything he's analyzed and looked over. He is a child of the enlightenment. He is uh, neck deep in empiricism and touch, taste, feel, smell here. And so he knows we have communion. And so I'm back there and I take, and I think he's going to like the restroom or something like he's about to pass. And he stops at the communion table and he grabs the loaf of bread and he pulls it apart and he dips it in the wine and he takes it. And two things happen to me at this point in time. The first thing is religion swelled up inside of me and said, no, you're not baptized. Um, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Uh, and then the second thing that happened to me is I was really scared. I was scared because I realized that this was the most meaningful bread and wine he's ever taken in his life, that, that he approaches that in a way that I have forgotten oftentimes in such reverence that this is so much more than anything I've ever done, tasted, smelled, heard, anything. And then so, and then I was scared because I knew Jesus was going to show up and, and I didn't want to be there when he met Brantley. <laughs> and so I shot back to my seat. Um, and oftentimes when I think about what our church does, I think about the unchurched and uh, giving them a window and an access to see God and experience God uh, and how God's moving in their lives in just such a unique way. And um, I think I, I've never, um, I don't think I've ever seen such a meaningful, uh, someone so meaningfully partake of communion before. So, so I, I consider that a joy and a wonder. It's almost like this, uh, maybe this, almost instead of just talking about like a profession of faith, just a, a, a bodily profession of faith almost. It's, it's powerful. I mean, you think about, um, for me, uh, especially in church chart, because you're connecting with people who have oftentimes uh, been hurt by the church or had some sort of experience that caused them to leave the church for such a large portion of their life, or this is their first experience with encountering a community of faith. And so, you know, approaching the communion table, as an extension of the meals that Jesus himself shared with the broken, the outcast, the so-called, um, 
you know, the, the so-called people of his day that he should not be investing time with. And to see the power of the moment of Christ to be able to break bread with these very people, uh, for me, communion uh, is an extension of that. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity to uh, share in the abundance of God's grace and mercy and to share something that is so simple yet so deeply profound. Um, so I think that's a, that's a very powerful story. Church starting oftentimes too, we, um, like most people, we want to be successful, but um, not everything um, works out the way we want. Um, you know, so I wonder if you would be willing to share, what do you think your greatest struggle has been in the last year? It's, uh, yeah, you know, I've been asked this actually just recently, like it, it's relationships. When I say it's relationships, like the hardest thing about doing the church start is figuring out your relationship with all of these different kinds of people. Um, for some of these folks, I've known them for years and other of these folks, I've known them for six months. Uh, some of these folks, I'm leading them. Uh, other of these folks uh, are teaching me. And uh, there's a lot of relationship. And just to get church start, the church start to work, just for, just for a church to work, uh, it has to be such a community effort. It's amazing how if one person, you know, stumbles or fails, how things start to really press upon everybody else. And so it's definitely those relationships. It's figuring out how you react and relate to all these people. And I think like in more traditional church uh, services and congregations that uh, there is a clear idea of what the pastor is for most people who attend and they know what the pastor is. But I think for my people, it's different. They, they see me, like I said, we're friends trying to do church and they see me as this friend And when they sit and listen to me uh, preach and talk about X, Y, and Z and uh, Jesus and God and Paul and what have you, um, they they really are like, it is a, it's a dynamic I've never experienced before. It's not, they're not listening to me just as Dustin, the friend, and they're not listening to me as Dustin, the pastor. Uh, They're hearing me uh, actually almost like in spite of all those things, almost like this, this whole new relational dynamic. And so trying to figure out how to balance that and where people give you grace and where you give them grace and how to be tough on them. And like when you are pastor and when you are friend, you know, and that that's hard to balance when you are boss. Um, we have the church business stuff to take care of. Right. And so there's all of these multiple relationships at work and almost these different sorts of roles and trying to balance and figure all of that out is probably the single most difficult thing about the church start. It is finding that, that rhythm and that balance for everybody. And when a new person comes, you just have to kind of rework it again. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, especially if your church start is relational by nature, not an attraction model, which tends to be um, the majority of the church starts within CBF. They're very communal, very relational, very um, much centered on living life well together. And, and then that all begins to play out in so many different formats. But you know, my own experience, um, our home is open, um, to anyone. We have people here, uh, many times uh, a week. Um, I've been able to, to be in, um, in this capacity in a way that I haven't before, which is, uh, it's not like ministers fake it to make it in the sense of who we are, but in some regards, we are held to a different expectation. And oftentimes 
we're not allowed to live into our own personality to speak the way that we speak. Um, and what I've discovered in the six years of this process of, of the new church start is that I've been Andy and that can be really ugly at times. And that can be really beautiful at times. Uh, though I would probably never use beauty to describe, describe me, it, it, but it can also be very real. Um, it can be very gritty. And what I have discovered is you see the worth that people place in their relationship with you as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother and sister in Christ, when conflict begins to rise within a relational model of the church. And it is easy for people to expect a pastor to pass on grace to someone. But when you need grace, you need that community of people to, to hear you say, I'm sorry, or I didn't handle this the best way I should, or maybe I spoke out of turn here, or maybe this was not... Uh, that well presented of a Christ-like perspective, you in that moment is a vulnerable moment where you then either are received with grace or you're received with judgment. And that is, uh, that is both a, uh, a detrimental place for your soul, but it also is a place where your soul can be filled with so much joy uh, and, 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 and love and mercy that overflows. You know, it is like the, the biblical, like, you you're in that place where you can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn for those like, like who are in mourning and with like with them. Uh, but then also too, like you suffer with those who are suffering and when you're suffering, they're suffering too. Uh, and so that's, a uh, that's the messy part of the church website bio you read for us at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny is as you talk about that very thing, I, I incident recently, um, within our congregational setting uh, where I was uh, journeying through some of the letters of Paul and kind of sharing some about the early church conflict and what the church is designed to be and just kind of being vulnerable to share about some of the growing pains that we've had as part of a church community, you know, over the last uh, six some odd years. And I started to get, have this really anxious moment because we had uh, some new families that were there, some new individuals that were there and beginning to realize like I'm sharing this story and they have no context of what's going on. And so I, I contacted these families afterwards and kind of said, you know, I want to give you kind of a fuller perspective into what I was talking about. You know, we didn't have some sort of church split. There wasn't some sort of theological breakdown within our community. You know, this is just some of the things that we've dealt with recently. And it was amazing to be received in grace by several of these people to say like, Honestly, what I saw as a pastor who cares deeply for his people and cares deeply for this community. And it's like, you know, when you invest in this type of church start, like the forum is, when you invest in people, when you're investing in community, when you're investing in something that's so different and so vulnerable, and for people who haven't connected in a traditional church sense, um, it's those moments right there that remind you, this is why I do what I do. Yeah, that's, that's amen, right? That's, <laughs> they remind you, that's why I do what I do. And then you have those moments that you're like, why do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it is that I taught high school English for a while. And uh, every day you ask, why do I do this? And then you get to graduation and you say, ah, this is why I do this. You know, uh, there's similar moments in church start where you're, oh my gosh, am I doing anything? And I feel like I'm just literally, you know, beating a dead horse. And then you have an amazing moment of at the communion table or uh, you have transformation occur, gospel transformation occur in someone's life. And you just see how it affects everyone around them and how it affects everything. And you're like, wow, you know what? 
this is great. Why, why isn't everyone doing this? Well, Dustin, it's been a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.